When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like when your partner hits rock bottom and you're trying to be their cushion and their ladder. (laughs) Damn, girl, you a poet. I know, right? Snaps. Button poetry. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm like that TikTok I sent you about slam poets. (laughs) In which I responded, I hate this, which is to say I hate myself. Uh, okay. And <laughs> when you're dating a devout Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And when you've got an anxious, anxious attachment style. hey Right? But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health professionals or anything of the sort. Right. We are just... Making this all up as we go along, we are regurgitating random things we've heard from other people, (laughs) right? Exactly. From a weird article we read four years ago that for whatever reason launched in our brains. Article? I'm talking like memes. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just a hodgepodge of nonsense (laughs) that we're giving you all all the time. (laughs) Absolutely. This is all to say, please take our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble, uneducated musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Okay, Sam, this week's check-in topic is inspired by a DM I got on our account the other day, and it was mm-hmm. asking about period sex etiquette. And the mm. the person who DM me also acknowledged that, like, that is not an experience that you have lived experience in. Um, so we can broaden it to just, like, general bodily sex etiquette when it comes to bodies and sex and Things that come out of our body holes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, another thing I wanted to add is that the person, the DMer, asked if I had any like differing experiences with um, multiple genders, since I am a proud bisexual or pansexual or queer person thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's exactly so what since you are. You, uh, you know. Since this question is not necessarily targeted towards you, why don't you start? (laughs) (laughs) I love having period sex. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I mean, I haven't experienced that, obviously, as the DMer says. We've had Um, intimate conversations about what periods feel like, though, because I think at one point you thought it was like a faucet. (laughs) Mm, I I think that was Peter, but yes, (laughs) sure. Imagine trying to describe to two gay men who've never touched a vagina, just like, well, it just like leaks out, you know? Yeah, no, that was that was clear to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I I don't think like, yeah. Um, But you know, like, also, all bodies have things that um, that let's be as vague as possible when we're talking about butt sex. (laughs) That when we 
think about sex or when we read about it or we watch porn or we watch romantic movies or like whatever it is, like doesn't come up a lot. But that right. has been present every time I've had sex. Right. right like, right. Uh, yeah. So like or for, you know, and for the have, history of sex. Right. Right. For Since sure. For the entirety of sex. Yeah. Yes. There have been all sorts of fluids and other types of things that are present in that. And um, I think we do ourselves that we have done ourselves a disservice by pretending like that stuff doesn't happen. Right. Um, because uh, like the reality is, is that it does happen and that there's nothing wrong with it and that there's nothing gross about it. Right. right? Like the anesthetized, nope, the sanitized version of sex <laughs> that we've been taught is like, really a, a disservice to us because like bodies aren't that clean. They're yes. never that clean. No, like that's just aren't. the reality. You remember of it. when I went to like, I had like a gynecologist appointment, I don't know, six or nine months ago. And I, I think I talked about this on a Patreon episode that like, they were like all up in there doing some stuff. And the doctor took out the speculum and was like, okay, well, um, because we've disrupted things up there, you're probably going to have like extra discharge today. That's totally normal. And I like went home thinking like I lived my whole life ashamed of my body and ashamed of like mm -hmm. the things that my body produced, you know. But what did I think? It was like a sterile fucking operating room up in there. <laughs> you know, it's like a white walled apartment that's just like perfectly clean if you are angelic uh -huh. and pure and, and you know, don't have impure thoughts about Harry Styles. You know, I just I don't know what I was expecting of my body. So you're so right to say we do ourselves a disservice by believing and um, uplifting and participating in this narrative that our bodies are not supposed to produce gross shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. They just mm -hmm. do. That's just part of them. And um, yeah. to speak specifically about period sex, I'm going to speak from the perspective of a 15-year-old girl, you know, who has been taught almost exclusively that their period is gross that their period mm. is, you know, that it smells bad and that you can't trust anything that bleeds for more than five days without dying. I heard their, that mm. joke like a thousand times when I was a teenager. Um, and then imagine, you know, the intersection of those feelings of that universal understanding of my body as a 15 year old and and introducing like sex and making out and like hormones to that. It's like totally in opposition of each other. Um, at times. And so first I just, before I talk about my experience, I just want to like nod at the fact that like it is an unlearning that we all have to do that our bodies are supposed to be, that our bodies aren't gross, you know, <laughs> or that they right, are right. and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, right. And I also want to nod at the fact that some, you know, so part of the period sex narrative or conversation is also always, well, I, I feel gross and I'm actually like often in pain and uncomfortable and therefore I don't want to have sex. So that's like added to it. So I just want to like add that for folks out there who menstruate. Like I know that to be true. So I'm not just saying yeah. like everybody should bone on their period. Right. But that being said, I have never really had a problem with period sex, which is a surprise to literally no one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> yep. mm -hmm. and I did think it was an interesting question about asking about um, experiences with different genders. Um, I have found that if a person has a problem with my period during sex, 
I don't really like that person. Or like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> well, I mean that on like a holistic level mm, of like, mm-hmm. if you think that I'm gross while I do this thing that I have no control over once a month, um, right. Okay, bro. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, I don't I'm, like your I'm smelly ass you're balls, using some... but I don't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry, I woke up chose very, violence. <laughs> some very gendered terms in this, and I'm wondering if there might be a theme of who well, uh, okay, finds yes. your body disgusting when you're right. on your period. And here's the other, yeah, so, so I went, didn't want to explicitly say that because, to be honest, I don't think I've ever um, had a partner who identified as a male who, who tr- truly had a problem with that, or at least... They didn't get that far. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And that's something that I consider a good thing. Um, But of course, uh, all my partners with periods sort of understood that that is a part of life and a part of your body. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what it comes down to is um, first doing that unlearning that like our bodies not that our bodies aren't gross it's that they are and that and everybody's bodies are gross and everybody has discharge and shit and sweat and pus you know like everybody produces mm-hmm. those things at some point i don't know about you men in discharge but you know or i don't know about folks without a vagina and discharge let's say that um and but it's also so it's about that unlearning and acceptance of yourself. Um, and then it's also about bodily autonomy and your personal choice. If I'm not asking you to like tear down the the walls and have like a bodily mm-hmm. revolution and and to definitely always have sex when you're on your period, um, because that's the radical, liberal, progressive, you know, like healed thing to do. <laughs> you know, I don't want to put that right. pressure on people. <clears throat> if you don't have sex when you're bleeding and in pain or if you, you know, or whatever, then that's OK, too. It's all about uplifting your own personal autonomy and your own personal uh, desires, especially in bed with a partner. Yeah. And I also think too, that if you have shame about th- this kind of stuff too, right. That doesn't mean you're a bad person, right. Cause like, to be clear, we've been taught lots of things about our oh, bodies we and how our bodies should shame. and should work. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so like, if you are feeling a certain amount of shame about the way that your body's working, like it doesn't mean you're a bad person, right. There are, there are, things that we can do to like to to try and support ourselves in in releasing ourselves from that shame but sometimes i think it's like a double whammy of like oh i feel shame and i'm so ashamed that i feel shame about this thing too right like so recognize the fact that like you are the decider of your own limits and so you can do exactly what sierra said of saying like you don't have to have sex on your period if you don't want to you don't have to have sex after you just ate like seven burritos if you don't want to right like you you can make those choices for yourself. And I think also, like, I don't know if the etiquette piece of this comes in too, but I'm wondering if you think that if you are on your period, oh, you yes. should tell your partner that you are on your period. So You're that so right. That they word can... exposes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? That like, I totally so that ignored. Can... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, so that, you know, it's not a surprise when something, something happens. Yeah. Period etiquette. Just t- tell your partner... And say, like, I'm cool with it if you're cool with it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not cool with it, let's, like, explore that. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Um, and if you're, if you're a person who doesn't get a period and you're about to have sex with somebody with their period, 
um, you know, ask them if they're comfortable, ask them if they uh, feel like they want to have sex um, and re mm -hmm. re uh, reinforce the fact that you don't think it's gross. Like you mm -hmm. don't have to be like, Oh my God, you're so beautiful. I love your, you know, <laughs> I've had some freaky partners. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is so <laughs> revealing of all of the the intimacies of Sierra's bedroom. Bitch, you know which partner I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, whatever. So this is all to say that's the etiquette. What were you gonna say? It was gonna be something really clever. No, I was just gonna say too that like um, you like we know our bodies too, right? So we can say, and we are allowed to consent. Sometimes to things and sometimes to not things yes. too. So right, like it's like the oh reality God, so is, real. is like sometimes you might be like, I really want to have butt sex right now, even though I ate seven burritos. And then another day you might be like, I don't want to do that because I know it's going to be messy and gross. And like that's right. all. All of those are are okay things to be, um, to be doing. And also exactly what you said of like if you're having sex with somebody who is who has periods, or if you're having sex with somebody who has a butt. And like things happen, don't be, don't be, don't be that person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Period. Right, like not that hard. Right. Don't don't shame people for the things that their that their bodies do that they can't control. Which, like, I'm gonna be really clear when I when I'm talking about this. Like, gay men do not shame people for having poop in their butts. Like, do yeah. not do it. It's yeah. just like. This idea that we should all just be these pristine, like, I'm I'm landing you, ramps for other people. rooms is what we imagine our orifices to be. <laughs> no, like, if you want to stick a penis up somebody's butt, then, like, you have to expect that poop is going to be involved in some you way. You know what's like, amazing? That that's should not the just first be the time, expectation. <laughs> that's not the first time I've heard you say those ex exact words. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that should be, like, a quote that you've cross-stitched into a pillow. A pillow. <laughs> I oh feel God, it so adamantly. Pennsylvania Dutch coming out. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway, I feel like we covered literally every, <laughs> Just like every orifice of everything. that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would you like to get into our letters? Let's do it. Oh, can I just like make one shout out quick before wait. we begin? I can't wait. Which is to our patron, Ray, who told me how to feed my cat a treat. And we have found a way that works successfully, consistently. Yes. Um, my cat is now on Prozac because he's a he's a sad <laughs> boy. And uh, he is a real dick about taking his stupid treat, which then increases the anxiety because sometimes I have to like open his mouth and shove a pill down it. But Ray recommended that I use wet treats. And so we grind up his pill a little bit and we put it in the wet treat. And I didn't even know wet treats existed, but it, like it works perfectly every time. He just licks it up and he's so excited about it. He's like, ooh, treat for me. But he's really getting his Prozac. When you describe Tad as a sad boy, I just really wish that he had like a fallout boy hair piece that he could put over one of his eyes, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know what's funny is I have no fucking clue what the fallout boy boys look like. So I'm just... That's okay. no, that's accurate. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get into our letters. And thank you, Ray. Let's do it. The first letter is from Kelly, who is writing to us from Pennsylvania. Dear Sierra and Sam, I have been with my boyfriend Jared for a year and a half now. It's a long distance relationship. I live in Pennsylvania and he lives in New Jersey. And we've done our best to make it work given the distance made all the more challenging with the global pandemic at all. 
but it is a challenge. Mainly our troubles come from communication. He's not big on texting or calling, and he tends to be selective in his words and how much he shares. I knew this about him long before we started dating, but it's definitely something that bothers me more now. I tend to feel like I'm always initiating or keeping the lines of communication open. I have shared this with him that it bothers me, and I think I've been clear in establishing where I need him to meet me in this, and to his credit, he has been trying until about two months ago. Jared got into a severe car accident one night in April. He had been heavily drinking before getting into the car. I won't get into the details of the event, but in essence, he could have died and is lucky to have walked away with barely a scratch. He was charged with a DUI and the assault of a police officer due to his actions while having a panic attack in the holding cell he was in. When the accident first happened, he tried to hide the truth of the events. I found out what really happened through his sister. This is not the first time he's gotten behind the wheel while under the influence, and I've spoken to him multiple times about it and about his excessive drinking in general. Jared did tell me the full story, and he was initially extremely remorseful, upset, and disappointed in himself. He said he was going to take steps for his mental health and drinking issues, and he was taking it very seriously. We had long conversations about us needing to continue to communicate honestly and be upfront with our feelings and boundaries. In the two months, I haven't seen Jared take that responsibility for his mental health the way I had thought he would. He promised to get a therapist, but then excuses started piling up, and now he shuts down if I ask about it. He was mandated to to attend drug and alcohol support groups. And instead of taking them seriously, he has attended these online group meetings while drinking or smoking weed. Anytime I try to talk to him about his legal process, how he's feeling, how he's handling things, he gets defensive and shuts me out. I'm trying not to push uh, and to respect that he wants to move forward, but I'm worried he's sweeping the larger issues under the rug and I feel frustrated that he won't really talk to me. Sam and Sierra, I will not lie. I am a chronic people pleaser, always on the hunt for a fixer-upper. I have a bad habit of finding troubled people and loving them and being convinced I can, quote, fix them, that I need to be someone or do something better and that'll make everything okay. And I can't walk away. I will ignore every red flag and stay until I'm forced out, just trying to fix everything. It's a problematic flaw and I recognize it. And I know a good deal of it is at play here. I'm doing the head and heart work and trying to resolve that. I feel conflicted because I love him and I'm trying to be there for him. And I know he's dealing with something I can't comprehend. But at the same time, I can't help uh, the frustration I'm experiencing. I feel like I'm not even entitled to being upset because he's dealing with so much more. And then I just feel guilty. Jared is my longest lasting relationship and weirdly one of the healthiest ones yet. I don't want to just up and quit. He's been there for me a lot. He's been understanding and patient and loving while I sort through my mental health issues. There's a voice in my brain saying, how ungrateful are you that you can't, you can even think of leaving him now? Really, I just don't know what to do. I love him, but I would be lying if I said, I don't worry that he, if I left, he would slide back into a worse mental health place. I don't know if love is enough, and I'm seeing him turning back into this bad path. I don't want to support it, but I don't want to abandon him and make it worse either. And ultimately, I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship, and I don't know how else I can tell him that. I feel like we are going around in circles. What more can I be doing in these conversations to make things better, or is it time to close this chapter altogether? How do I walk away without feeling the weight of guilt pressing on me? Any advice you can send is appreciated. Thanks for reading, Kelly. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for writing. And I'm so sorry you're dealing with this right now. It sounds like 
Um, not only is it heartache, but it's stressful and scary. It's always scary when people are putting themselves and others at risk um, with substance abuse. And and when somebody's wellness feels like it's at odds with your own happiness, That's it's a really tricky place to be in. Yeah. And when somebody's wellness feels like it's your job, too. Mm, totally. Right? Like it feels like it's you've been assigned this task and now you need to do it. Um, and I'll say, too, that like this situation that you're in is intimately familiar for me as a person who was also mm. dating someone who got behind the wheel and um, luckily didn't hurt themselves or anyone else, but ended up getting a DUI and not wanting to talk about it and sort of um, not necessarily taking the the punishment seriously. Um, and so I've, I have been in, in your shoes of sort of seeing the ways in which this type of thing, this big sort of shame-filled moment can really impact someone, but in a way that doesn't actually help them, right? Because it feels like the shame of the fact that he got behind the wheel and got into that accident and and got that DUI is actually preventing him from recognizing the fact that he's sort of like in a place where something needs to change, yeah. right? And and running from that shame feels easier than, than sitting in it. Um, and... It's hard. It's really fucking hard. And I, I appreciate how challenging it is to be in this position and to, to sort of see that that this person that you love has like made has done something that could have been way worse. Um, and that like the empathy that you can have for how bad that person feels about it. Right. Um, can get in the way of you also seeing at the same time that that person isn't taking any responsibility for it. Um, and it's one thing to say, I'm so ashamed, I'm so sorry, and be remorseful. It's a different thing to, to actually do something about it, right? Which is, you know, take a, take the opportunity to do something about your mental health, like examine your drinking, like, at least don't like drink and smoke weed when you're in the recovery class. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and I know how, I know how challenging those types of classes can be and how they can feel like not worth it because everyone's everyone is forced to be there. And so it's not like a super healthy space for recovery, but, um, but still, like, I think that, that you're totally justified in being like, I know that he is carrying around a lot of shame and guilt about this. And at the same time, I'm really frustrated that he's not doing anything about that guilt and shame, right? He's just like continuing to run from it or continuing to pretend like it's not there. Yes. Um, I think about, you ask us, like, is there anything else I can say? Um, and it's tricky. Like, in this instance, like, I think Sam described it perfectly. This person is running from something, avoiding something, covering things up, which is often goes hand in hand with substance abuse. Um, and So is there something else you can say that it's going to prevent him from continuing to do those motions? I don't know. Um, Thinking about a script that I can give you, I think you could say something like, and say it like clearly in person, face to face, or I mean, whatever, you, you know, over the phone, basically like we need to talk about our relationship. We need to have a a conversation about our relationship and I need you to be present and sober for that. And you can say something like, 
I love you. I know you're going through a really hard time. I know what happened two months ago was really scary. Also, I love you. I see the goodness and potential in our relationship. And I'm really grateful for what we've created so far. But the issues that are coming up after this event are really weighing on me because I don't see you taking the action, you know, the steps towards like healthier choices or, or whatever. And it's preventing me from getting what I need in this relationship. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's that statement right there is like what, what you are not doing is preventing me because I'm so worked up worrying about your wellness. I'm so worked up worrying about your sobriety, about your safety, um, I can't get what I need out of you. Those basic things like joy and happiness and pleasure, you know, they're all disrupted by my worry, right? It, you know, that's taking up my mind. And then you can also say, and here's where the, I'm not a huge fan of ultimatums, but like you even said it in your letter, like, I think you're ready to leave this person. You just don't feel justified in doing it. So I'm going to give mm -hmm. you those ultimatum words so that you know you put it all on the table and gave him a chance to change Gave him a chance to step towards a healthier, more compatible lifestyle for you. Maybe mm -hmm. not for him. I, you know, I don't know what is a good lifestyle for him. But you can say, you can either continue to let your shame and apathy prevent us from really talking about this. Prevent you from really dealing with what made you do those things. Or uh, we can connect we can work through this together or I'm willing to be there for you. You know, you, mm -hmm. what you talked about, your, your people pleasing um, fixer upper habits, that is not an inherently bad thing. You, you wrote about it as though it was like a character flaw. Guess what? When you, when a, when someone like you wants to help someone who is not, uh, who, who is willing to show up for themselves and for you, that's a beautiful thing. That's like superpower, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your generosity and your love and the way you love. But right now it's, it's being wasted on somebody who can't return the effort. And basically you mm -hmm. want to just say, I can be there for you. I can help you work through this, but I don't see you even pulling your weight. I don't see you meeting me halfway. And I, mm -hmm. uh, just like blanket statement, all of this is said with a ton of like nuance and also like a ton of guesswork because Sam and I don't know this relationship and we know how complicated mm -hmm. a all rela human relationships are and b relationships with people who have substance issues whether like we don't know if he's an alcoholic we don't know if he has um an addiction addictive personality we don't know if he has substance abuse disorders or you know like we don't know the nuances of this so give us some grace in the way we talk about it because we know it can be mm -hmm. really complicated, but I think that's at least a start of a script for you to, to, to break that feeling of being unable to walk away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there, there's a very big difference, right? You talk about how you, you want to recognize that he helped you through your own mental health stuff too, um, that there is a difference between being there with someone as they work on their mental health and being there with someone as they deny the mental health issues that are impacting them. And and having been in both of those types of relationships, mm. I can tell you that they're different. And I can tell you that 
it's one thing to say to a, a person who's struggling with their mental health and is in therapy and is really working on it, like, I can't be with you because of your mental health. And it, then it is to say to someone who's like refusing to sort of see and do anything about it, that that you can't be with them unless they really take stock of what's going on. Because, you know, those mental health issues that they're not acknowledging are also hurting you, right? You're an active participant in this relationship as well. So I, I want to absolve you of what seems like a debt that you are placing upon yourself to stay with this person because he was supportive of you as you were going through your mental health issues. Like that's just what a relationship is. Um, and this is not this, you're not comparing like things in this moment. You are not right. sort of, these are not apples to apples. These are apples to oranges and relationships are also not like a, a debit sheet, right? They're not like your checkbook at balance. You don't sort of like, you don't owe a debt and then they have that debt paid. And like, we have to get to net zero before we're able to, to, break up right like right. relationships are complicated and yes this person helped you through mental health stuff but it doesn't mean that you are required to support them in what sounds like destructive behavior that isn't actually in service to their mental health right take so, that into the script right there i'm observing some really destructive behavior that what did you just say <laughs> that isn't in service to your mental to their yeah. mental health yeah 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 yeah, exactly. And I can you can even say like the ways in which these things are going unacknowledged and unignored and ignored is hurting me. Right. Like there the fact go. that we're not talking about this is hurting me. The fact that I am so worried that you are going to do something like this again is hurting me. Right. Like I think that there's. um you know, really focusing on the ways in which this is impacting you, because that's what we're talking about here, right? You're not breaking up with him because he's an alcoholic. You're breaking up with him, or you're considering breaking up with him, because you're because the actions that he's taking are actively causing you harm. And we can understand why he's taking those actions, and we can have so much empathy and compassion. But it's not our job as humans to put ourselves in harm's way so that other people can ignore the things that are that are deeply affecting them. And that's a really hard truth. It's it's really painful to say that out loud and to have to acknowledge that. But that's the reality. Um, and I know that somewhere along the line, you were taught that that's what love is. And that's yeah. how you do it, is to fix people and, and put yourself in their line of fire when they're trying to hurt themselves. But that's not what love is. And that is not something that's sustainable for you or for them, because it just enables behaviors that allows them to hurt hurt themselves and hurt other people. Yeah. You crushed it. That's it right there. Um, Kelly, we know that this is really tricky and painful, um, but you can say all of this. You can't, you talk about that quote character flaw about you that you can't walk away, that you ignore every red flag. Um, but that's, that's not permanent. That's not um, concrete in your, in who you are. Every day we mm. get to do something different and you know what it is to be true. You just need to put action behind those truths. So mm -hmm. we hope that this helps. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. 
Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which (laughs) um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right. Our next letter is from O who is writing from the void. Dear Sam and Sierra, thank you for all that you do and all the compliments in the world to you, but this one is a long one, so I'll get right to it. I, 23, she, her, have been in a mostly on, sometimes off relationship with my partner, 24, he, him, for almost three years now. This is the longest and most stable relationship either of us has ever had, 
And though it has become as natural as breathing, we both work really hard to take care of each other and nurture our relationship while also maintaining healthy boundaries and developing our lives outside of one another. He is very intelligent, compassionate, and our lives are on the same trajectory as far as hopes, dreams, and goals go. He has also come leaps and bounds from his default avoidant attachment style, has learned how to talk to me in the ways I need to be spoken to when my anxiety is driving my brain, and he has worked through a myriad of issues related to an absent father in order to be a better partner to me. I am so proud of him and what we have built. I can see that he has a very good, pure heart, and I am almost always proud to have my name associated with his. I can all but hear you noticing the almost in that previous sentence. And before I get into it, I would like to preface this with a trigger warning and by saying that I am to my core an ally, and I so deeply love and appreciate the safe space that you have created for LGBTQ2 plus and BIPOC individuals. And in no way do I want to make any of the listeners feel invalidated. In fact, I've hesitated before in sending you this letter for that very reason. But I need advice, and I think strong, passionate, and empathetic queer voices like yours will really help me. And I feel as though there may be others out there who are listening and are struggling with a similar conundrum as I am. My partner and I are both straight, white, cis people, and we were raised in the Catholic Church. My issue, and most issues in our relationship, stem from the fact that my church and relationship with God is very different than his— My parents raised my brother and I to believe that God has love for everyone and taught us right from wrong in separation from religion. That is to say, we have a moral compass completely separate from the church. Even my very white, very old-fashioned and gruff grandfather had empathy for and sought to understand and uplift people different from him until his last day. Over time, we as a family have strayed away from organized religion as we become more aware and uncomfortable with the cultiness of it all— And hello, evil. Example, Canada's residential school system. But still have our own relationship with God and our faith. To sum up my tumultuous relationship, I have faith in God, but do not have faith in the church. My partner's upbringing was very different. Scripture is taken verbatim, gender roles are reinforced, and gay marriage is an insult to the sanctity of marriage itself. Harsh and polarizing, but that gives you some insight into his environment. Mm. The church has its reasons for these beliefs, I just think I just happen to think it's hateful bullshit and you could write that on my tombstone. It hurts me to my core to see you faith weaponized and for the church to be such a detrimental place because my God would want no part in a place making anyone feel unwelcome for or unloved for being anything but their true authentic selves. While I see a lot of empathy in my partner himself, his entire family is a different story for another letter. And he is at the end of the day, a product of his environment. To give him some credit, he was the child sticking up for those who were different on the playground because he doesn't believe anyone should be treated differently or lesser than for any reason. He actively acknowledges and condemns when his friends or those around him use queer people as their their punchlines, and he uses correct pronouns and is apologetic when he gets them wrong, despite admittedly not understanding the space those individuals are coming from. I've used his empathetic heart to break down many walls in his mind built by the church that are damaging to himself and others around him. But he still has trouble with reconciling the main issues most people, including me, have with the Catholic Church, namely gay marriage, which is just regular marriage, in my opinion, and abortion. The church is all he's ever known, and as soon as you start questioning one aspect, your entire sense of self starts to crumble because the church's teachings lose their meaning if you can pick and choose which are right and which are wrong. I understand his position and his difficulty to a point as I went through my own struggles trying to reconcile my beliefs with my faith where the church had told me that they didn't align. 
He has come a long way with reprogramming a lot of detrimental aspects of his upbringing, but still doesn't see that organized religion can be dangerous and that his faith is being weaponized and creating a world that so many people feel unsafe in. He also thinks the media are creating sheep, but he doesn't see that he's a sheep in another pasture owned by the church. He also doesn't understand why I grow uncomfortable with some conversations at his family gatherings and doesn't know why I don't see his wildly Catholic mother as God's gift to earth. (laughs) He definitely has some mommy issues we haven't gotten to yet. While he is a very kind, loving person and makes me feel like safe like no one else ever has, I can see that on paper he looks like somebody I should not be associating with. Most of my friends dislike him for these reasons, but they have never been religious and have no space in their lives to hold any empathy for him. And I can understand their point of view. On the other hand, I feel like if I vilify him for said reasons, I will further radicalize him as I am the only his only connection to these other communities and anyone who challenges him. I would thereby be cutting him off from any opportunity for growth, which I see as an important in changing the face of organized religion. I see the good in his heart and recognize he is actively fighting most of the time to understand others and be a better ally. I want to continue to encourage him to be a better ally and walk a mile in another's shoes. And while he's not perfect so far, he has done his best to rise to every occasion. This is what our relationship boils down to when talking about the future. Despite our conversations about allyship and his growth, he's still loyal to his Catholic upbringing. And even though he loves me with his whole heart, I am, quote, not a true Catholic. And so logically, we or logistically, we could not even build a stable life together. On my end, I worry that although he's growing and is doing the work, he won't ever get there all the way. I worry if we do build a life and a family, we will have a child who feels unsafe in their own home and community because of their sexuality, or one who will need to get an abortion and feel unsafe to talk to me about it. I love him so much, and it is my belief that this is a good true love, but I don't think I want to raise a child in the Catholic Church. Not being a queer ally is a deal breaker for me, and although he's trying most of the time, at what point do I say enough? And that, that, and that trying is not good enough. Is this an issue of compatibility that is inherently unsolvable? As queer people, does it sound terrible that I'm giving this person my time, energy, and love? Am I being a bad ally by loving this person? I don't want to believe that these values are who he is, but at what point am I trying to change him too far from who he is? By staying with him and giving him empathy for his internal conflict, am I making excuses for a shitty person, making me also a shitty person by that action? I know he's on the wrong side of history right now, and is it toxic or damaging of me to to either of us to be trying to get him onto or waiting for him to get onto the right side? At the end of the day, even though I sometimes feel guilty for making space for him and all of these issues, I still want him to be my life partner. Do you think love is enough to get through this? How do we even get through this? If you read and respond to this, I really want to thank you for tackling such a sensitive issue, as I am sure you have been made to feel unsafe by these very people. And I can only imagine how difficult it must be for you to empathize with my partner and my situation. Regardless of where my letter ends in the abyss, writing this has been therapeutic to me. And I have grown up with you these last three years and feel as though I am talking to my older siblings who are going to give me a kick in the ass I need to be my best self. With love, O. Oh, thank you so much for writing. I know that this is obviously weighing heavily on your heart. um, And you did a ton of pre-apologizing and checking in (laughs) with us in this letter Mm. um so i just want to start by saying like sam and i are okay okay and we're happy to answer this letter and it's you know what it's not hard for us to empathize with your um boyfriend uh we believe very different things but 
all humans are do that. So like, I don't think that your boyfriend is a bad person. Um, I do morally disagree with some of his <laughs> beliefs, but, <laughs> right. um, uh-huh. but I, that, at least for me, I, maybe you feel differently, Sam, but like tapping in my empathy for, for the boyfriend is, and, and especially for, O is not difficult. Like, I don't think you're Mm-mm. a bad person. No, I will, I will freely admit the fact that I think that I really did struggle with folks who were deeply religious for a long time as a, as a younger person. Um, and had to recognize in myself that that dehumanizing people who are deeply religious or have deeply held beliefs is not in service to my goal of empathy, compassion, and understanding, right? And as a person who was raised in the church, knows what it's like to, to have these types of beliefs indoctrinated into us, yeah. um, have immense empathy that these are, that are, that these are beliefs that this person um, is holding to. And also have deep empathy for the fact that like people can have deeply held values and beliefs that are different than mine. And that doesn't make them bad people. It does not make them evil in any way. It just means that they have deeply held beliefs that are different than mine. And that's okay. We're allowed, we're allowed to have that happen. So I appreciate you calling that out because I do think it would, this letter would have been a challenge for me at a different point in my life, but Mm. want to recognize the fact that I have done work to really try and do to really try and change my outlook about people and not make assumptions or sort of cast dispersions on people who are people and who have different beliefs than me, but that doesn't make that they're bad people. Yeah. I think I brought it up particularly because um, Sam and I answering this letter is not the hard part existing, you know, like, uh, being in a relationship in which you have what feels like a, a deeply complicated woven compatibility issue, that's challenging. Feeling like mm-hmm. your morals are being are at odds with your partner's morals, that's tricky. You know, like Sam and yeah. I empathizing with this stranger and, and particularly empathizing with you. Of course we do. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that. That is to give yourself some credit or space in this letter. I feel like um, this is hard and and we're and I actually totally agree with you. I think there are probably people out there who are experiencing really similar um, feelings of conflict over a lot of things like this, like whether mm-hmm. it be differing political um, beliefs or religious beliefs or other things of the like. And Obviously, Sam, y'all and I know y'all know Sam and I's hearts. We know that we, uh, you know, that we are deeply committed to personal liberation for all, and obviously, we do know and acknowledge the harm that exists in an ideology that says that marriage is just and it's is is an institution between a, a man and a woman um, that that mm-hmm. harms a lot of different people. Um, but we can we can acknowledge that institutional harm while also acknowledging that, that one person who believes it uh, is not an evil person. They just have complicated opposing beliefs in us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's complicated. It's it, it and it can be. Period. It just can For be. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I also think that that 
I want to just create the space to say that you can be in relationship with a person who has different religious and political values than you, right? Like it is very, very possible. Um, and I have friends who are deeply religious and I have friends who, who <laughs> I don't have friends who have different political views. I was going to say that. Actually, I do. I do have friends that have different political views. They're just not Trump people. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> right. Um, and that so that can exist, right? And you and I know that there are couples out there who have figured out ways to do all of the things that you're concerned about, right? So right. raise children who are both Catholic and not Catholic, right? right? And have and attend mass on certain days and don't attend mass and like can't be confirmed until they are of an age where they can make their own decisions, right? Like you can figure out a way to make this happen, right? And so I want to First of all, I want to absolve you of the idea that like just because your partner believes some of these things doesn't mean that you're a bad person for dating, them, right? Like, yeah, doesn't mean that you like, especially because you're doing so much work to like bring them along, right? If you were sitting there silent while he used the F slur all the time, like then I would have a problem with that. But like the fact right, that Matt you Damon. see it as like, yeah, exactly. And the fact that it's just so funny. That whole story is so funny. I want to write a. I just like want to unload about Matt Damon and how. It's how I so feel about it because up. it's it's so ridiculous. Everything about right. it is just absurd. I had a glass of wine with Peter the other night and just was like, can I just like give my opinion about Matt Damon and like just put it all out there because it's in my head and I need it to be somewhere else. And he That's was what like, we have sure. a podcast, Sam. <laughs> then I talked for like 10 minutes about Matt Damon. Um, it was 20. Don't lie to me. It was a long time. Peter was like, mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. It was great. Um, love Peter so much for those moments. Ah. Uh, Right. But like this isn't the situation is that you're actively trying to sort of bring this person along. You're like taking accountability for them and and sort of doing the work of that. Um, and so want to like absolve you of a little bit of that guilt and say, like, it's OK to be with somebody who doesn't share your values on this. And I appreciate that you are trying to bring him along. And it sounds like he's he's doing what he can in the way that he can to get get there and may eventually like really sign on to this. So all that to say, like this, I don't think that this has to do, be a deal breaker. I think it can be a deal breaker if it's a deal breaker for you. Right. Like, right. I don't think that there's a hard and fast rule that you have to break up with him. And I also think that if you want to break up with him because of this, that is also legitimate. Yeah. And it's and it should weigh on you. I feel like in a good relationship, you should be questioning, do my partner and I have a shared relationship vision? Does your, it, it, I don't think this is just a surface level compatibility thing because mm -hmm. so much of institutionalized religion is a lifestyle um, and not just a, a belief that you hold. Right. Um, so really what, what you need to get down to is I invite you to express your concerns here that you shared on this letter to your partner explicitly, because that's what we're talking mm -hmm. about here. Folks <laughs> We're saying either overlooking these, not these compatibility issues and then having them come out in really harmful ways, as you talked about, like having, you know, a, a, a child who feels unsafe or unwanted in, in their community, um, et cetera. So you could say something like, I've been thinking a lot about the future of our relationship and I'm afraid we have some incompatibilities or don't even say that. Don't 
lead with fear. Just say like, I want to put all of our cards on the table. Um, this mm -hmm. is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling some anxiety about your, about, um, my relationship with Catholicism and it's, compatibility with your life you know like it's not just is this partner compatible for you it's that are you does does he want to be with um a non-practicing catholic or somebody who is mm -hmm. moving away from the church um and you can say like this is the vision i see for my future and my children can yep. you meet me there you know is you know and then and Here's where like my personal opinion comes in other than just like acknowledging humanity and like that people have different points of view is I invite you to be really explicit because for me, you know, and, and maybe this is because of my own personal lifestyle, but that's a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker for mm -hmm. me that my partner wouldn't accept a gay child. Right. <laughs> Obviously a little ironic for me, but it's also a deal breaker <laughs> for me if my partner, um, would is is not pro choice they don't have to be pro abortion abor abortion but they have to be pro um choice in that way um and that's my personal belief and that's just my line um because i that's because i think certain things that i value are in alignment with those morals you know what i mean like mm -hmm. That's, it's not just that hard and fast line. It's not the polarized picture of liberalism and conservatives, conservatism that we see in the media. It's the idea that um, there are certain, um, I don't know, personality traits and morals that I, I want to look for in a partner that align with those, you know, hot button issues or whatever. Um, and so you have to, you have to rectify that in yourself. Like, well, where am I, where am I willing to budge? And it sounds like you're not willing to budge on being a queer ally, right? And being a queer ally mm -hmm. is, I don't think that there is a universal definition, but I think a lot of people would argue that being pro gay marriage is being a queer ally, but I don't think it's a hard <laughs> yeah. and fast. Well, I mean, what do you think? Uh, we talked about before we press record, we talked about how like, some people, and this is just their truth, say that, believe that they are not homophobic and are anti-gay marriage because they see it as two different issues. They see marriage as an institution, as like a legislation, mm -hmm. as it almost, you know, and mm -hmm. they can support gay people in other ways, you know. And mm -hmm. whereas, like, I think you implied that you feel differently, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think that that's... Um... We live in a polarized society that doesn't offer much space for nuance in that, right? Like, I think that there's a difference between somebody who's like, I don't believe in the value of gay marriage, but I would never do anything to to vote on that or to, like, enact my own views on that, right? Like, in the same way that you can be like, I would never get an abortion, but I, I support the right of other people to, to exactly. have abortions, right? And so, like, again, there's nuance there. And we we don't have a whole lot of space for nuance in our in our current political climate. But I think that Sierra is absolutely right that like in these nuanced situations, then what we need to get really clear on is our goals. And what are the goals of your relationship as individuals and together? And if those goals aren't compatible, if you are saying if he's saying my child needs to be raised in the Catholic Church and go to mass every Sunday and identify as a Catholic, 
and you're saying, I don't want a child to step one foot in a Catholic church, then those are incompatible goals, right? Right. Which would and be are reasonable. There places, <laughs> totally reasonable on both sides. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. on both sides. Like, I, I, And I so say like, that coming from a, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt. I just want to say like, hmm? you know, this whole time, Sam and I do empathize with your boyfriend and, and also in our personal hearts, you know, I think about the history of the Catholic church and, and some of the things it stands for. And it would be very difficult for me. It has been, I, it has been difficult for me in the past, um, in, in a past long time, long-term relationship to rectify what that institution stands for having an active and ha- it having an active role in my life. That, that, it, that was hard for me and it mm-hmm. can be, it's okay if it's hard for you. It makes sense. The receipts are there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We haven't even acknowledged the things that the Catholic church has done as an institution. <laughs> right, right. Well, because I think our goal, like you said at the beginning, our bigger goal in this podcast is to try to humanize and acknowledge the duality of all life, mm-hmm. that everything is nuanced, everything is complicated, and everybody's experience um, has validity uh, in in their own sh- in their own unique way. Right. And it's about us navigating, well, is that experience, is that reality for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Is their reality in alignment with my morals, with my reality, with my safety and values and things like that. For sure. And also, as the letter writer pointed out, this is obviously, you know, it's not a con- it is a it is a less complicated situation for us. Yeah. So both of us can exist. Both, both, both Sam and Sierra is like Gemini versions, like the <laughs> the version of Sam and Sierra that's like no fucking way, and also the version of Sam and Sierra that is like, and also mm-hmm. we are inherently complicated. And and there, like Sam said, there are thousands of relationships out there that have in which partners have opposing views. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of how those views and they make it work. How those views play out in the real pieces of people's lives, right? Like how we can have different viewpoints, we can have different beliefs, but what are the shared goals that we have about how those play out in our lives? And that's what you need to be really clear right. about in order to know whether or not the compatibility is just in mindset or if it's an actual sort of like executable action. What is your child's totally. life going to look like? What is your wedding going to look like? What is Right, right. Right? Like what are your <laughs> What are your voting sheets going to look like? <laughs> what are your ballots going to look like? Mm-hmm. Right. So like there's there is a lot there that needs to be unpacked. And so like also what we're not talking about either is like what is your what are your extended family mm-hmm. holiday mm-hmm. things going to look like? Do, is this. You know, people's extended family can be a deal breaker too. Mm-hmm. like I'm not saying for all relationships, sometimes you know, th- sometimes the partner is so perfect that the terrible in-laws or whatever outweigh it, you know, and you deal with that. You navigate that as a couple. Um, but one, is it is it too much? And two, will th- your partner help you navigate that incompatibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I guess what we're saying is that like Sierra and I can't answer this question for you. <laughs> okay, good luck. <laughs> uh, no, but that it is so complicated and so nuanced. This can be a deal breaker. This can not be a deal breaker, but you and your partner need to get really specific and granular about what the future is yes. going to look like with these deeply held and differing viewpoints. It's okay that they're different, but how does it play out in the shared culture of your relationship, right? Like what what are the yes. what are the protocols what are the the practices that you're going to bring into into real life as you engage in a couple and i also just want to say too that like yeah. if the only reason why you're with this person is because you don't want him to fall into radicalization that's not a good enough reason to stay in relationship with a person right like it is not your job yes. to prevent them from from the toxicity of their own beliefs and so I want you to sort of put that out of your mind. I hope that he doesn't become radicalized and I hope that he finds other places for him to be able to see that like some of the beliefs that he might, that he, the people around him might be espousing are toxic and harmful to other people. But like at the end of the day, that can be our jobs collectively as white folks and people talking to other white folks. But it doesn't mean that you have to marry this man just because like you're afraid he's going to become a toxic person if you stop dating him <laughs> like that's just that is not a good enough reason yeah, totally. enough reason to stay with someone absolutely we know that this is complicated um oh but that's life i mean y you can you can make an informed thoughtful loving decision about this and i and i encourage you to have the conversations that sam talked about you know put it all on the table life is short absolutely Thank you so much for writing. We know that this is a complicated and nuanced situation, and we know that it's hard to be in this position, um, but we also know that you're going to make the right decision. So thank you so much for writing, and we love you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, our third and final letter comes to us from I Want to Heal, who is writing to us from The Void. Dear Sam and Sierra, I wanted to start by thanking you for all the work that you do in this podcast. You've helped me cultivate a much deeper, realer understanding of love and to begin the long, difficult, but so worthwhile journey of healing. I'm writing to you because I'm so sick of crying and feeling sad all the time. I'm an almost 21-year-old cis woman, she, her, in a currently long-distance relationship with a 21-year-old cis man, he, him. We've been dating for about nine months now, and this is the first relationship I've ever been in. Today, after many, many tears and hours of rumination, I came to the realization that I am completely emotionally dependent on him. Being around him or being in contact with him sends me into such a high. I want to be around him all the time, which means I feel so depressed when I'm not near him. But even when I am around him, I feel so scared of being rejected. I've begun to grow aware of all the manifestations of this fear, a hesitation to openly share. I think it's been a really long time since I've been fully honest with him about how I'm feeling. Jealousy when he spends time with others in the most irrational ways. I once had a breakdown because I saw him hanging out with one of his roommates. And today I felt so much despair when he sent me pictures of an outing that I didn't know about. 
jealousy when he expresses attraction to other people, hypervigilance when I'm around him, and I'm constantly waiting for him to reject me, a tendency to people please and to do things that I don't actually want to do because I couldn't bear to disappoint him. I could keep going. It feels so depressing to think about all of my problems. We have a beautiful relationship. He's a very securely attached person and is such a bastion of comfort and joy for me. He supports me, makes me laugh, listens to me. We have shared interests and shared values. He consistently reminds me that all he wants is for me to be my most authentic self with him. Being with him feels so right and so good. And honestly, I think it's a sign of a good true love that I'm finally able to confront some of the deep unhealed wounds in me. Living in fear is draining and I'm starting to become exhausted and burnt out in our relationship. It feels like I'm trapped on the constant emotional roller coaster where I'm just waiting for the next thing to drop. And the person that shackled me to the chair is me. I need to get free. I've been doing so much work over the past few months to learn why I'm so scared. I realize that I have an anxious attachment and that I'm just generally anxious too. I've confronted the emotional neglect I endured from childhood that it left me unable to trust people who claim to love me. I've been speaking to therapists and working hard in therapy, but I feel like I keep returning to the same thought patterns. I am unlovable. There's something fundamentally wrong with me. This question started out about my boyfriend and our relationship, but I really think it's so much more about me. I want a beautiful, fulfilling life. I want to get off this roller coaster so badly. I want to feel at peace with myself in the world. I want to learn to love myself unconditionally in the way that I never received when I was younger. I want to learn to love my boyfriend unconditionally in a way that he deserves and the way that he has loved me. I want my life to blossom into something beautiful and whole and real, a life that I don't feel I need to escape from all the time. I want to be my bravest, realest self with my partner and share all of the parts of myself that I am too ashamed to that need love. The specific question I have for you is, how do I tell my partner everything I'm dealing with when, for all of the reasons outlined above, it feels so scary to do so? Should I even talk to him about this? I know that my trauma and my emotions are my responsibility, but what can I reasonably ask of him? I don't want to make him feel bad like he's the cause of this sadness because it's definitely me. And I also don't want him to feel responsible for getting me through it because that's on me. Thank you for reading. I would love to hear any advice you have for me. Thank you so much for writing. I want to heal. Um, your desire to heal is so obvious in here. Um, and we really appreciate the vulnerability um, and the trust you put in writing this letter to us. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, just reading through the letter, we can feel the anxiety that you're feeling um, and recognize yeah. that like those anxious feelings um, in general and those anxious feelings that also come in a relationship where you might not feel super secure are are really overwhelming and hard to to handle. And um, that feeling that you have of, of you just want to heal, you want to feel better um, is so real. And and I'm I'm so sorry that you haven't found that healing or you haven't found that peace that you that you have been so actively searching for. And I know, like you said in the letter, like this <clears throat> is started out as a question about my boyfriend, but it's really about me. And that's and that's where the majority of my advice will lie. And it's not even advice. It's more just like we're having a conversation about life together with you. Mm-hmm. Um because I relate to a lot of this. Um, I'm a generally anxious person with an anxious attachment style. And I remember, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but I remember being 21 and feeling so fucked up and feeling lit- literally unable to function correctly, mm-hmm. you know? 
I felt like I ruined things. I ruined friendships. I ruined work opportunities, relationships. Um, and I was on top of all of that. I was bad to myself. I was bad to my body. Um, I, I did things I didn't want to do because I didn't want to disappoint people or I wanted so badly the validation of their acceptance. Um, and I really, my early twenties were the time in which I feel like I, I had cemented and started to enact that belief that I was inherently broken Mm. and that I needed to earn people's love. It's like I had, I had sort of decided that in my teen years or from my childhood or, or whatever it was, I had decided it. And then in my early twenties, I enacted it. I had, I started, you know, realizing those beliefs in my actions day to day. And so I relate deeply to this letter. Um, And I think, what makes me hesitate is that if I had said anything that I'm about to say to you to me back then, I'm not sure if I would have been able to unpack it mm-hmm. because I want to heal. I want you to know that I had I had 10% of the self-reflection that you have right now, that I had 10% of the self-awareness that you're showing in this. I didn't know what an anxious attachment style was. I didn't know that I inherently thought I was broken I just thought that was the way it was. I just believed, you know, like mm-hmm. I accepted that my my inner monologue was a negative one. You know, I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. So I guess I'll start with that, that this journey that you're on, I know that it's overwhelming. I know that it's exhausting. Um, but take a deep breath. Acknowledge that you've already come so far. You've already given yourself so many gifts um, just by going to therapy, by you know, learning some of this shared language that helps us articulate our human experience. Um, and you're, you're not uniquely fucked up. You're not a broken, terrible person. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I know I've been talking for a minute, but I just want to say really quickly that a huge part of my personal, quote, healing, air quotes there, was realizing that I was not unhealed, Obviously, empowerment, um, self-work, therapy, healing your past wounds, your your inner child, that's beyond important. That is what I have dedicated my whole life to. I'm not gonna I'm not contesting that. But I saw myself as broken for so long that that became the normal, the norm instead of like, it was just the, my subconscious state of being mm-hmm. and and something that really liberated me was realizing that I was not a problem to be solved, that I was not an unhealed wound, um, that I was a wholly imperfect, ever-evolving masterpiece of a human being and everyone else is too. Mm. Yeah, I think that... Um, all of that is wonderful. And I think, you know, I strongly relate to it too. I think that there was a period of time when which the narrative that I had created for myself was like uniquely fucked up. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also think that it's really hard to rewrite those narratives as well, right? It's not an overnight process. 
Um, and it can, you know, look like going to therapy and doing that hard work. But it, in so many ways, it's like trying to teach yourself to sign your name with a different hand. Right. So like, right. like, you know what it can that it can look different. You know that you can do it in some way. But like just the fact that you're trying to do it differently in a way that you're not practiced um, is is so real. And so I want to give you I want to give you grace. I want to give you the gift of grace to say that you don't need to hold yourself to a standard that is unreachable, right? The fact that you are trying to rewrite the way that you talk to yourself and the way that you talk about yourself isn't going to be an overnight process. And it's okay that it's taking right. longer than you think it should. And it is okay that it is more challenging than you thought it was going to be. And it's okay that you're doing a lot of work and it feels like you're still falling back into the same patterns, right? That is what healing looks like. That is what it feels like to be trying to move into a different way of understanding ourselves is that those patterns of thought or those thought patterns, those ways of behaving are so deeply ingrained that they become easy to fall back on. And so I don't want you to find, I don't want you to use this as another excuse to beat yourself up. I want you to recognize the fact right. that the fact that you're even trying is amazing. The fact that you are doing the work that you are thinking about this, that you are finding ways forward every single day is a triumph. And it speaks to the the amount of love and care that you are showing yourself by even trying to do something different. And you don't need to beat yourself up that you're not doing, you're not really good at it the first time, or you're not really good at it the hundredth time, right? We, ha it is a, a continuous life right. journey to begin to rewrite these narratives that we have about ourselves. And so I'm so proud of you. And I am also giving you the opportunity that I'm inviting you. I am asking you to give yourself grace in this moment and recognize that like you are trying so hard in such challenging times too, right? Like let's be real about the world that we're living in right now and the shit that totally. we are going through in these moments and remind you that like it's it is beautiful that you are taking on this journey and this journey is not going to be done in like four seconds, right? Like it's not going to be done immediately. Right. And it's okay. It is okay that this is going to take a long time. It's okay that it's going to be a lifetime thing, right? I Talking about my young self and let me tell you, those thoughts still come back, right? Those thoughts are still so ingrained that I fall back in them some days, and it is okay that that happens. It's it's okay that we are hard on yeah. ourselves. It is just us trying to pr protect ourselves, just trying to us just trying to serve ourselves in the best way that we can. Yeah. And I want to commend you for like seeking out those resources like a therapist and learning, you know, probably I'm assuming reading about attachment styles, knowing that your partner is secure and that you're anxious. And I want to encourage you to continue to seek out those resources. There are tons of books on attachment styles that we've mentioned in the past about mindfulness and relationships. And there are obviously tons of amazing resources about um, healing childhood wounds, about abandonment and fear. And obviously, Sam and I want you to continue speaking to a therapist, finding one that is right for you, just like we seek out a partner that is right for us. And also, I want to say... Um, since a lot of this letter revolves around um, the shame and stress you feel about being perfect around your partner, not showing your partner the things that you're dealing with, a lot of these 
self-help life lessons that we're talking about here. You know, I can read a hundred self-help books and I can speak the language. I can, I can say the right things. I can diagnose all of the things that are wrong with me. But there's a difference between being able to talk about what we perceive as wrong with us and actually enacting some of the challenging lessons that those resources expose to us. Mm. Meaning, I want to challenge you to have a conversation with your boyfriend in which you lean into the fear of being imperfect, in which you lean into the fear of being something that he could possibly not desire. That is the core of vulnerability, right? Is understanding that at the end of the day, we are enough for ourselves. Um, I, because that's what that's what is preventing you from that, right? Is that you're afraid that if he sees who you actually are, he would he wouldn't love you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that fear is valid. I understand that. I just want to rephrase it a little by saying, if he never sees who I am, he will never be able to truly love me because he he will only see the facade of me the performance of me and like you said you're getting exhausted and burnt out by playing this role of who you think you need to be so i want to challenge you to to say because because here's the reality my darling is that it's either going to stay like this or something's going to change it's either going to stay like this forever or you need to say i'm willing to risk the discomfort of that vulnerability for a deeper, more intimate, more authentic connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just also encourage you to remember that the, the love that you can get from other people is abundant, right? Like it is not scarce. It is not only in this one person, um, which I think is what happens when we're in an anxious attachment style is that like, it's like, oh, this person is the only one who can offer me the things that I need. And I want to say to you that the, the world that the world of love that you can get from other people is abundant. If it, even if it might be inconsistent and the world of love that you can give yourself to is also abundant. Right. And so we are not living in a place that is scarce on, on love. We're not. I mean, it, it, that's what we're taught to, yeah. to feel. But the reality is, is that like, even if this one man can't find a way to love you, that doesn't mean that there isn't also abundant love elsewhere. And so. Yeah. Isn't that a crazy revelation to sit with? Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, f- I want to hear, forgive me if this is like anxiety inducing for you. Fast forward this. But that this is like step 20 in dealing with my anxious attachment style. Step one is like sit down and take a chill pill. (laughs) Um, But step 20 is recognizing that I would be okay even if they didn't love me. Mm -hmm. I would be whole, worthy, lovable, safe, even if they didn't reciprocate that love that I'm so desperate for. Mm -hmm. And that is the great empowering discomfort Mm -hmm. of that truth, you know? Absolutely. And that the love that they can give you is an abundance on top of an abundance of love that you can already have for yourself too, right? Like 
it is not just that this person, that you need this person to sort of complete you or fill you up in ways that you haven't been filled up, but that you are already full, you are already complete, you are already whole and wonderful and and have things in front of you. And we also have the opportunity to, to bring other people into that abundance with their own abundance, right? So trying to really shift that narrative away from a scarcity mindset, which is hard because that's what we yeah. that's what we are told we need um and that the world exists as to remember that like there is abundance out there there is abundance within you and abundance within the love that you can get from other people even if it doesn't come from yeah. this one source yeah uh i want to say really quickly to before we wrap this up another like step two of dealing with my anxious attachment style was really convincing myself to not trust my first thoughts about things and that might sound counterintuitive but like i think i said on last week's episode that our first thoughts are are our trauma response our reaction Mm -hmm. and then our second thought is our chosen thought out more authentic decision you know feelings or whatever and i've also said in the past we can give ourselves the opportunity the gift of having a a reaction instead of a no, a response instead of a reaction. Mm-hmm. Meaning when you see your boyfriend with other people, a reaction is, oh my God, he's with these other people because he hates me and he doesn't want me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a that's a first response. And I really had to tell myself that like, oh, my wife talking to someone else is not a threat to me. So that first thought, that first anxious thought that def- that loved to define me as unlovable that first thought is wrong. Like, I don't even, I don't know how to say that without like sounding like I'm insulting myself and your first thoughts as well. But an anxious attachment style loves to to cut us off at the kneecaps. Like it loves to diminish our self-worth, feed all of our fears and, and also diminish the actual value of our partners. Like when your partner is hanging out with someone else, it does not mean they don't love you. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that sounds so simple to some people who don't have an anxious attachment style, but th- something like that deeply challenges folks like me. Um, and I had to learn um, that those that first, that trauma response of, oh my God, the love that I'm receiving is being threatened right now and I need to act out in order to secure it, in order to know that it is not going anywhere. That first response is a trauma response and I no longer... And I can say this really honestly, I no longer make space for that response. I wait, I I, process, I acknowledge it, I nod to it, I say, hey, what's up? Like, fucking annoying trauma response that I literally wish I outgrew by now, <laughs> but I still have just because it's like in the core of who I am and that's okay because I accept myself. Uh-huh. I'm not going to make time for you today. Instead, I'm going to revel in the discomfort and the peace that I find in trusting my partner and trusting myself to love myself. And I know that's really hard. The last thing I want to say is you say, I want to love myself unconditionally. And I just want to explicitly say like, that's really fucking hard. That's a tall order to put on yourself at 21. That's a tall order to put on yourself at 35. I don't love myself unconditionally. Mm. I love myself inherently. I inherently say, I know I am a valuable person. I know I am deserving of love. I know those things despite the inner monologue that I have to combat combat every day, you know. And I think 
if you shift the perspective on that or rephrase it to say, I don't need to love myself unconditionally because that is love without conditions. And we all, we're all programmed to like hate ourselves in one way or another, right? It's about how can we combat those, that programming? How can we erase it or mute it or, or whatever um, and say, I might expect myself to be perfect, but I know I don't have to be. To me, that's loving myself inherently. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, uh, that all resonates with me too, even as somebody who doesn't have an anxious attachment style. So I, I appreciate it. Good. All right, my darling, I know that we like unpacked only a 10th of your letter. Um, and I know there are many other things to, to you know, dive into, um, but you're on that journey. You are doing that path. I know it's exhausting, but um, give yourself some grace, give yourself some love, give yourself some um, deep breaths and allow yourself to rest. You know, we don't always have to be in self-improvement mode. Mm. Sometimes we can just accept who we are and give ourselves some love and kindness in that moment as we are. Mm. Um, and know that Sam and I are rooting for you. We believe in you. And you know what's really miraculous, darling, is that we believe in you right now and mm. who you are right now. Mm. Um, we don't see you as a problem to be solved. No. We see you as a person who is trying to figure it out mm. like we all are. We hope that this helps. Absolutely. We love you. All right, my darlings, this brings us to the blind date segment of the episode. Every show, we like to shout out something that we love to set you up with. This week, we are sending you home with... A book called Fly Away by Kathleen Jennings. Um, it's a sort of... It's short. It's a novella, actually. Um, but it it's this sort of like fairy tale slash like um southern gothic uh story that takes place in um in australia in the outback um and tells the story of this this town and sort of the the cursed inhabitants of this town um and it does it in this way that is so interesting um you don't really know what's going on until like the last 30 pages of the book and then everything sort of clicks into place um but the way that um, Kathleen writes and the the t type of story that she tells is so unique and so beautiful um, that mm. I read it and then I immediately wanted to read it again. Like that was that was how I left the Aww. book. Um, and then I gave it to Peter and I said, you're really going to like this book. And he read it and then immediately read it again because he was like, I felt like I missed so much, um, which is great because it's only like 150 pages. So it's pretty short. Um, but it, if you're a fan of fantasy if you're a fan of really great poetic writing um if you're a fan of like sort of southern gothic horror but also in australia um <laughs> check it out it's really it's just um one of the most surprising books i've read in a long time and that's called fly away that's awesome by kathleen jennings Beautiful. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our summer merchandise, international shipping available. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Please remember to hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you will get an additional bonus weekly episode that's patreon.com slash just break up pod 
This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, editing, producing, all magical things by our great friend Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his music under the name Big Cats on Spotify. And remember, you don't have to be perfect to deserve good, true love. A huge part of love, a huge part of humanity, a huge part of relationships is inevitably making mistakes. What is most imperfect about you may be one of your best qualities. Be kind to yourself. Don't underestimate your strengths. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>